Well, good morning. Good morning. I am glad you guys are here with us once again. Uh, we're going to turn back to the book of Malachi. So if you have your Bible, you can open to that. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if you're new with us or if this is one of your, your first time back uh, in a while, we're currently making our way through uh, a series in the book of Malachi. Uh, and Malachi, just I, I'm a guy that needs context. I need to put things in a frame of reference in my mind. So uh, indulge with me here for a little bit um, as I just give you kind of a, a, a position of where this falls in, in the text before we read it. So uh, Malachi, if, if you open your Bible, you'll see. Uh, it's the uh, very last book of the Old Testament. It's a minor prophet. Uh, is what that's called, and so-called minor prophet, not because of lack of importance, like it was an afterthought, but more so just to, to the, the size and length of the letter. It was a minor prophet. Uh, so like I said, if you look, you're going to find it right at the very end of the Old Testament, uh, but that's like, like locationally where it's found, but chronologically where it is, um, it falls like along with Haggai and Zechariah and around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And that means nothing, right? Unless you're like a, a super cool biblical Old Testament scholar, you're like, what does this even mean? <laughs> what this means when we look at it in that is uh, we're, we're reading the words of Malachi, the messenger of God. And when we place it in that context of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zechariah, what we have are these Israelites who have newly returned home, right? You see that within the last few generations, they've been granted the ability to return from exile. Not all, at, not all at once, like it was some Groupon where they all went together and just moved. But over the course of many years, a few thousand at a time, a few thousand here, a few thousand there, they've made their way back to the promised land. The land that was promised to uh, God's people through Abraham all those years before. And this is important because this means, as, as Malachi is writing, what we're about to dive into and talk about again, what we have is the city of Jerusalem had recently been rebuilt, Right? The temple had been reconstructed to its former standing in splendor. And you have all of that happening locationally, but, but the people were still reeling from their captivity. And so you, you could say uh, the hearts of these people, though they had physically returned, their hearts were still far from God. It was at best a practical or dutiful atheism, is the hearts of these people. And we saw this last week, right? Even as the people had returned to the places of the promises of God, their hearts were still far from him. And so with that context, we have Malachi speaking a word from the Lord, right? He is the messenger. Malachi literally means messenger. And he's speaking to these hard-hearted, spiritually distant generation. And so I wanted to kind of put that, that quick recap to put this frame of reference as we dive into these Tough words this morning. So with that, let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Malachi 2, 1 through 9, it says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. 
and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will despise, I will make you despised and abased before the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Your love in the book of Malachi is evident. Even in hard words, a loving father is reprimanding and guiding his children. Father, I ask that we would receive your word this morning with that heart from the Father above, from you in truth. Open our hearts that we might see our need for you, see our sin for what it is, and see you for who you truly are. We pray this all in the name of your son. Amen. Another exciting Sunday morning text, right? Malachi is like full of these beautiful one-liners. And just as an aside, to get it out of the way, yes, I read that correctly. You all saw that, right? Uh, He says, and he does say, he will spread dung on the faces of those priests who do not honor him and his word, right? So I'm just going to get that out of the way. And there's some sort of like weird irony, right, that the pastor that's currently leading the youth group and middle schoolers is the one that gets to speak on dung on faces. It's like some sort of unique irony, right, Um, as if there's like a chorus of middle school boys giggling in the background. Um, It's almost cliche, it's so appropriate, but it's in the text, right? I'm not not making this up for fun. Uh, It's in the text, uh, and so if it's there, it's written with purpose. And so let's dive in and see what that might be. So last week, um, we talked about the carelessness of worship, right? Last week was the carelessness of worship that had arisen during this time, and Malachi does something. He he addresses the priest in last week's text, right? You see that in verse six. He's addressing the priest, but you get this general sense that what he's saying, this carelessness of worship that he talked about last week, uh, was present for, for all the people. The priest and those attending, right, had grown careless in their worship. They were scoffing aloud, um, at what was to be genuine worship. And we saw that last week, right? It wasn't just the priests sacrificing the leftover unwanted lambs, the ones that were no, no use to the people, right? But it was the people who were indeed bringing them to the, the priests to bring these offerings to them. And so it was both the, the priests and the people that were all lumped together in the carelessness with which they pursued worship as a people, and so we covered that last week. But this week, we, we start off, right, and, and it's clearly talking just, just to the priests, right? 
Because it starts out in verse two, and now, O priest, this command is for you. And so you're thinking, okay, it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> Free pass, no dung on my face, right? So, but, but clearly, there, there's something that needs to be explored here. And so what I want to do quickly is just talk about what exactly a priest is. And why does this matter since we don't seem to have, have this at our church, right? We don't have priests. No one here is called a priest. So what could this mean? And I think before we go further, it'd be good to clarify what a priest was and what that means for us who are on this side of Christ. And so to give context to the text this morning, generally speaking in the Old Testament, it was, it was the priest who was the one who offered sacrifice for the people of God. They were to be, in essence, the go-between right, between God and his people. So the people were, were too unclean, right, to offer a sacrifice. And so the priests consecrated themselves and offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And so this was the, the priestly responsibilities to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people to cleanse them from sin. And so what you see is this, this pattern playing out of priests and sacrifice, repetition throughout all of the Old Testament, an endless line of priests offering sacrifice and, and priests, new priests offering sacrifice and priests offering sacrifice throughout, throughout all these generation upon generation of, of uh, Israel in the Old Testament. And you can see this is almost to act as, as a pattern, Right? We who are in Christ see this as a pattern of the type who was of the one who was to come, right? Who is Jesus Christ. And you see, the sacrifice was not to be of themselves. It wasn't the priest giving of themselves, but there were to use spotless lambs or offerings without blemish. And there's a lot you could unpack there about the nature of that, but I want to set this in mind for you. Um, these offerings had rules, had guidelines to define what was worthy to be offered up by these priests and the manner in which they were to function and to operate. It all had symbolism and meaning and importance. And so these priests were offering sacrifices continually throughout their lives. In the Old Testament, you see priest after priest continually offering sacrifices and they did this uh, continually, and they guided the people that were under them as they made these offerings. And so you have that, that idea of this Old Testament priest. Now in the New Testament, by contrast, the New Testament, you never see the term priest, at least in reference to some like, official position held within the church, right? The reason for this is clear. Jesus Christ himself became our permanent priest. Right? The Old Testament priesthood is now done, finished, obsolete, completed because of who Jesus Christ is. And so you have in Hebrews chapter 7, you have him say former, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing the office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, he being Jesus Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And so by contrast to these Old Testament priests, you have Jesus who will be our forever priest because he sacrificed himself once on the cross for all. We are no longer in need of a priest who offers sacrifice on our behalf because Christ completed the sacrifice. And so you have this, this position, right, of this Old Testament priest. Now, the sacrificial system was complete, but the, the responsibilities of, of uh, a priest were beyond that. They had other duties to perform of the Old Testament priest. Namely, you have the teaching of the Word of God. 
in the leading of the people of God. So if you look at verse seven from our text this morning, right, you can see that the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. While the New Testament doesn't have the office of priest in the manner in which the Old Testament did because of the sacrifice of Christ, we do see that there's still a need for the duties of teaching and leadership of the people of God. And we see that supplied in the role of elder and pastor overseer in the New Testament. Titus reminds us of this, right? In um, Titus chapter one, verse nine, he says, he, uh, when when talking about the qualifications for an elder, he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. And so as, as we look at the text this morning, we see it's talking uh, to these priests specifically in the Old Testament, but that doesn't give us the free pass to check out, right? Because there is something that applies to us today. Um, he is giving, as much as he is speaking to the priests, he is giving to us the warning, to the church, a warning of, of how we are to um, operate as elders and leaders and how to, to, uh, uh, what to look for when we follow them. And so, um, with that, we see in Malachi that he says to these priests, and don't, don't forget what you read, right? The nature of which we read, because I just gave you a lot of other information. God is angry, right? That's pretty evident in the text. God is angry. You don't get to the point of spreading dung on people's faces with, like, mild disappointment. Like, that's not the jump that's made there. I'm a little annoyed. I know what I'll do. No, no, this is, this is anger, not mild displeasure, because God is angry because these priests have failed in their duties and in their calling. They should be leading the people and offering sacrifices on behalf of the people, but instead they are leading the people of God astray, teaching them to value money and material gain over God. They are pleasing the ears of the people instead of glorifying God. And you can remember this as we looked and explored through chapter one. They were, you, you saw that they were skeptical of God's love, right? In the beginning, it was, how have you loved us? And they were, they were skeptical of God's love, and they demanded to know how God could have loved them. They were careless in worship. They were offering unworthy, polluted food to the table of the Lord and the altar of God. And now we see that they are failing in leadership, So Malachi is going to lay out the failures of these priests, and he's going to do this by contrasting them with the successful priesthood of a guy named Levi. Now Levi was, just to to quickly give you that, Levi was like their their origin story, right? Their original, their, their founder of this order of priests. He was to be the example for them. And so look back at verse two. Let's see how um, Malachi lays out the failures of these priests. He says, if you will not listen, if you will not take to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessing. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So the first way in which we see these priests have failed is that they are failing to listen to God. 
The sense of this passage is not an empty threat, right? This is not some idle threat made, um, made empty. But in fact, he says the curse is already upon you. These priests had failed in their listening to God. You see, the priests are not listening to God, and they are already suffering the consequences of that failure. So how are they not listening to God? You can see it, right, in chapter 1. That was the, the laying out of what happened. And instead of listening to God, you see that they are listening to the wealthy in the crowd, to the influential, to those who were annoyed um, at, at, and found um, weariness in, right, having to do these, these silly things like, sacrifice to God and, to, and honor his word. And so you see that they are listening rather to those in the crowd that are, are, are suffering the weariness of following after God. And I'm sure it was like clanging in the ears of the priests. Wouldn't it be cheaper if you could just give, like, you know, let's just give one of the lesser lambs. You know, I'm not going to do anything with this one. It's blind. I can't sell it at market. Let's use this guy. He's not going to cost me anything. Let me give this to God. You know, it's that kind of thing that is happening. And so instead of listening to the Lord, instead of listening to God, they're listening to these men. These priests were not listening to God but were, and were not keeping his commandments nor laying to heart the words of God. And so it says in... In verse 2, you will not listen if you will not take to heart and give honor to my name. So they were not hiding it in their heart, taking it to heart. And there's this idea of listening, right? To listen to God is to hide in your heart the words of God. If you have children, right, you know the difference between listening and hearing. We talk a lot about that. I'm sure a lot of parents talk a lot about that, right? Like, you, you're not listening. You may have heard me and heard the words said, but you are not listening to them. Simply hearing would be, okay, I heard you say, do the chores, or I heard you say, take out the trash or sweep the floor or whatever it is, and I did, I did the bare minimum. I took out the trash because you said take out the trash. I just didn't put the bag back in it. Or I swept, yeah, I swept the center of the floor, but I didn't get the corners, right? Or I didn't do that. And so it is, it is a hearing, but not an honoring of the word of God. It is the bare minimum. When... Uh, Whereas listening would be hearing and taking to heart, right? It is uh, hearing and taking to heart what, what my parents asked me to do. Um, I need to do this in a way that honors them and shows that I am listening. Not that, not that we or our children do that, right? Um, I'll lay the cards on the table. This is an example. Um, but that, that is the listening that is to be happening here. It is a taking to heart the words that are being said. Listen to how he phrased it in verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. This is what it is. It is listening and taking to heart, right? Why is this important for a priest or, or in, in turn for, for an elder to do? Look down at verse 7. He calls the priest the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is important that, that these leaders are listening to God because they are the messengers of God. 
They are the messengers of the Lord of hosts. The messengers of God are not listening to the words of God. That's what Malachi is is preaching to them. These, These messengers are deaf to the words of God. How are they going to give what they are not hearing and listening to? And as I sat and wrote this this week, my prayer over and over again, as it is every week when I preach, it is that, that God, you would use this time and let the people hear from you. It is over and over again, God, what do you have for your people this week? What a terrible thought to think of a pastor, of this leader who, who stops listening for answers to that question, Right? You would be left without without any word from God in the mere opinion of man. And if you are hanging your hopes on my opinions, man, I'm sorry for you guys. Uh, It is a terrifying thought. There is no hope found in the opinions of men for any of us. I cannot help but think of the incredible difference that would make, right, for the church, for any church who sits under a pastor, who, who maybe can entertain well, a well-entertained, a well-opinionated um, group of people versus one who listens to the word of God and instead has a church of well-nourished members. A well-nourished church would be a people of God who have not been fed on man's thoughts, but on the words of God. You see, God has appointed pastors and elders in the church to preach his word, not just to moralize or philosophize on the latest and greatest hot-button issues, right? Not simply are they to lead discussions where we can all join in this bandwagon of our own uncertainty and question everything. And preachers are not simply to just analyze texts or give a rousing lecture on the original Greek and Hebrew meanings of words. Nor are we to simply explain explain problems and give opinions. Genuine leadership, genuine pastoral leadership in, in leading the church, we are to preach the very word of God. One scholar said it in this way, we are to be heralds of the words of God to the people of God. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what we we need, right? This is what you and I need from from our elders. This is a call for us on our lives, that we are to preach and teach the words of God. And if we are not listening to God, if we are not taking them to heart, then we will not be able to preach them. And if not, then we are, are cursed, right? We are unworthy like the, the parts of the offering, that, that dung that it talks about there is, is refuse, you could say it in that way. There, when offerings were made and the sacrifices were made, there were parts that were considered holy and parts that were unholy, right? The, the refuse, and the refuse was taken and thrown outside of the city, outside the people of God, away from the people of God. And he is saying, without listening to God, it is like we are taking that unworthy part, smearing it on ourselves. And we will be cursed like that unworthy part, like that refuge, like that dung, and we will spread it on our faces and be cast out from the camp, from what is holy. 
And so you have this failure of these, these men who are claiming to be the, the priests of God, the messengers of God who are not listening to God. And so the second failure of these priests that we're going to talk about this morning is that uh, at the end of verse 2, it says, If you do not take to heart and give honor to my name, give glory to my name. The second failure is that we are not honoring, these, these priests are not honoring or glorifying God in their service. Right? So if listening to God is the internalization of God's word, and letting it speak to your heart and so um, come from your mouth, right? Because out of the, the mouth flows the abundance of the heart. If listening is the internalizing of God's word, of his instruction, of his precepts, then the honoring of his name is the application of what we've listened to played out in our lives. For these priests, it was, it was that they valued the praise of men first, in their hearts over the value and the love and priority of God. They put more weight in and more value on the praises of men than the word of God. And we can see this in the way that, that chapter one describes it, right? He says they, they despised his name. They scoffed at, snorted at, some translations say, the very commandments and precepts of the word of God. It's the way it phrases it at the end of chapter one. And so brother, brothers and sisters, as we look at this, what genuine leadership looks like, the question is, do, does, does the glory of God come first in our hearts before the praises of men? Does honoring God come before that professional achievement and advancement? Does honoring God come before financial reward or material gain? And for, for your leaders, for us as elders, we are to be held accountable to this. Do we honor God in, in private as well as public? Do we honor God in the way in which we pray as well as the way in which we preach? Do we honor God in our recreation and free time as well as in our discipline? What could be more vital, more essential for the life of a pastor, for the life of an elder or in turn for when you're praying for us, than to make sure that we are laying to the heart in all that we do, honoring and glorifying God and making our chief end and goal his glory. So uh, pray for us, right? Pray for your elders that we would do this. And if we as your leaders do not do that, then we are no better for you than these listless priests, right? These wandering priests profaning the Lord's table with unworthy offerings because they are consumed with their own vain thoughts. They are loving the treasures of men more than the table of the Lord. And so, if we, if we fail in this, if we fail in these things, not only is it to our, our detriment, but we are leading you astray. We are, um, like the New Testament says of the Pharisees, making those that follow them twice as fit for hell as we, we, we are ourselves. And so, you see, at the end 
of verse 2, right? I will curse your blessings. One of the other rights and privileges of a priest was to confer on others a blessing from the Lord. But here he says that um, if, if you do not do these things, if you are not listening, if you are not honoring me and glorifying my name, then your blessings will indeed be a curse. Meaning that if you are not honoring me with your hearts, if you are not um, seeking me and listening to me, that you are so deceived, you will deceive others and cause them to stumble, as it says later in the text. You will be a stumbling block for others, so much so that even in your blessing to them, it will be as a curse. Brothers and sisters, genuine leadership, genuine godly leadership is one who, as in verse 6 and 7, it says, uh, true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord. genuine leader, a genuine leader is someone who walks in peace and uprightness, who bears the fruit of that life in the fact that it is salvation for many, right? It says that many turned from iniquity, from sin. And so the lips of the, the priest should guard knowledge, not despise it. Ask yourselves, Are you listening to God? Are you laying in your heart the honor and glory of the Lord? If so, the promise is, right, that we will walk in peace and uprightness. The listening heart and a heart that honors God is a heart full of peace and uprightness. And by that peace, because you know who you are, and who God is. You understand the nature of your sinfulness and his righteousness and his holiness and perfect uh, uh, perfection. And at the same time, uprightness because you know the love of the Lord and you follow his ways. You are not merely in, in consuming and ingesting information. It is an application and lived out in your life. And so the challenge to us, okay, we've, we've got, this is a genuine leader, but what does this mean for us? Well, well we can say, first of all, that uh, in the New Testament, there is the priesthood of believers, um, and so there is a responsibility for these things that apply to us. But also, we must give care to whom we listen. Are we listening to men who merely tickle our ears? Or are they God-fearing men? Matthew 7 gives this warning. It says, Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. The grapes gathered from thorn bushes. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree, tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will, be recognized, you will recognize them by their fruit. And this fruit is, when we, are, when we are hearing the word of the Lord taught, it is that men are turning, men and women are turning to repentance, right? You see that in verse 7. Their lips, the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from their mouth. Turn aside from uh, the way um, and many will turn from iniquity. And I cannot help but think of that, that old children's rhyme, right? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. That was like playing in the back of my mind as I was writing that this week. So the question is, are you following those that are following Christ? Are you listening to those that are listening to God, or are you merely letting someone tickle your ears? And so my challenge to you is to think through that. Is that what we are doing? To me as an elder, to to us as elders, we think through that. This is the call in our lives, but this is the call for all of us. And as we think on that, brothers and sisters, let us also rejoice um, that we are no longer bound to the temporary priests of the old covenant who would continually offer atonement for sins. Let us rejoice that we have Christ who is the high priest forever, who despite our wanderings and our faithlessness, he loved us and while we were still sinners, died for us. The author of Hebrews reminds us of his role as high priest forever in this. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So then, with confidence, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us open our ears that we might listen attentively to the word of God and open our hearts that we might honor God and glorify him in all that we say and do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the hard texts, for the texts where you have uh, called us to the carpet and hold us accountable. Thank you, though, that this is wrapped in love, that the first words your messenger spoke in this book were, I have loved you. Father, thank you for your love. Let us not neglect nor despise it. Let us rejoice in your son and in the salvation that he brings. Father, as we go our separate ways this week, teach us to walk in your truth, to open the ears of our heart and to listen to your word that we might walk in your ways. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen.